I'd like to invite you to turn with me to the book of Matthew chapter 7. Matthew 7. We've been in the Sermon on the Mount since September, and uh, we'll be in it uh, through the rest of uh, 2022. Not really. Um, man, I, I saw, by the way, that uh, we had uh, a little sneak attack there this morning in the worship set where Trent Coakley fit in an original. Uh, just, just wanted to say that was just one of the most powerful things, man. I just love that too, and I love that we, we get to have originals from... Uh, from our worship team, that was wonderful. Um, it's good to be back in the pulpit. I uh, much thanks to our pastor emeritus, Jason Poling, Father Jason Poling, and our our friend Jay Davies last week for giving me a few weeks to kind of regroup for 2020. You know, this year it, uh, as we kind of alluded to, it promises to be one of challenges, and I hope it isn't too cliche to say that it's my prayer that those challenges would be seen as opportunities for this congregation to grow in more ways than one. Basically, our landlords have told us that uh, they they don't want to be in the landlord business and they are looking to sell the building um, and the price that they'd like for the building is probably a little too steep for us. So uh, it's it's, it's likely that we're going to be looking for a new church home this year, but uh, I can communicate that um, uh, we intend to look here in the Catonsville area, so it doesn't look like we'll be moving far. We already have a few promising leads, and uh, you can be sure that our elder team is uh, praying about next steps and thinking about the next ways um, that God would have us uh, uh, live into the, our kingdom agenda, His kingdom agenda. And one of the most important ways uh, will ensure that we're um, doing ministry together and doing God's kingdom uh, agenda together is to gather our ministry team uh, together occasionally. The, the ministry team of New Hope Community Church consists of anyone um, who serves in any capacity within the life of the church. And since we're a small church, that basically means all y'all. Uh, we gather several times a year to check in, get up to date on various ministries, share news of upcoming events, and most importantly, study and pray, pray together. Uh, Our next meeting is actually going to be this Saturday, January 25th from 9 to 11 over in Bellis Hall. And if you're on the fence at all about coming, just allow me to shamelessly request your presence. I I realize that Saturday mornings are precious, uh, and I wouldn't ask if it wasn't important, but I believe that God desires His people to be of a unified vision. And it's good for us to occasionally meet and cultivate that vision together. Of course, if you can't make it, no worries, there's always another meeting around the bend. So we're continuing this morning in our series, The New Way to Be Human, which is a series on Jesus' Sermon on the Mount from the book of Matthew. And we're actually in the final section of that sermon, which we might think of as like Jesus' stump speech or his inaugural address. I think what we've discovered over the past four months is that on one hand, Jesus has spoken on a lot of different topics, right? He's, he, he got up there and he's given hope to the masses through these announcements that we've called the Beatitudes. And, and he's reached out to the poor and he's reached out to those who feel like they've lost their voice in society. He's talked about persecution. He's talked about the church being salt and light. 
He's talked about how he's the fulfillment of the law. He's talked about the thought that anger shouldn't control us. Uh, the thought that, and the thought that objectifying a human being denies the image of God in them. And he's talked about oaths and retaliation and loving your enemies and praying for the other. And he's talked about giving, not out of a sense of obligation, but rather because God has given everything to us and therefore we're called to be astonishingly generous. And then he gave us this model prayer that we've called the Lord's Prayer, right? That taught us to pray that God's kingdom would be not in some far off place in the clouds or at a time in the distant future, but that our kingdom, that his kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven here and now. He talked about living a life of forgiveness, one that knows when it's time to put back, pull back from the temporary things of this world and instead focus on the eternal. And with our focus on the eternal, Jesus has said that he wants us to invest in the things of the kingdom and look to God as our provider, not being anxious about the things that are beyond our control or things that are within our control for that matter. He's warned us about not judging others and has encouraged us to come to our Heavenly Father who loves us more than we could ever possibly imagine. So yeah, on one hand, Jesus has talked a lot about a lot of different things. But on the other hand, there's a theme to the Sermon on the Mount. There's a map of the new way to be human that really just comes down to one thing. Jesus says, I want your heart. Things like religion and Christianity and faith practices and theology, all that's good stuff, and it comes in due time. But, but none of that is going to amount to a hill of beans if I don't have your heart, Jesus says. You see, we do this thing where we attempt to make it more about rules than relationship. Let's say, hypothetically, Let's say you're a young person, or an old person for that matter, and you've recently noticed the opposite sex in ways that you had in a few years prior, and you start thinking about things like dating and exclusive relationships versus casual relationships and sex, and how far is too far, and how young is too young to start thinking about things like marriage and things like that. Now, now I'm just guessing, purely hypothetical, but if you found yourself in such a scenario, you might start kind of flipping through your Bible to try to find out where the lines are, right? And if that's the case, yeah, there's some passages that I could direct your attention to. But first and foremost, as we read the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is saying, no, 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 before you start getting into where's the line, how far is too far, I, I want to talk about your heart. See, God's the one who designed your sexuality and your desire for relationship. Are you honestly interested in his perspective for the best way to live that out? Or, let's say you're involved in some sort of capitalist enterprise. Nothing wrong with that, right? It's good to be in business. Business helps us make money that allows us to pay bills, put food on the table, and give to things like the church. But if you've been involved in business for any length of time, let's say anything longer than a day or two, you begin to notice that the lines of business ethics are not always clear. And you start flipping through your Bible and you start seeing passages about integrity and good stewardship and maybe you catch yourself 
thinking of reasons why those passages don't really apply to a person in your particular business role. And you start thinking about where the lines are and how far is too far, and then there's Jesus looking you in the eyes and saying, put down the rules for a moment, put down your lines for a moment. I want to talk about the condition of your heart as a business person, as a person of business. Let's talk about whether God is on the throne of your life and of your work or are other things on that throne like power and prestige and money. A little later, in Matthew's gospel, Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. My burden is light, Jesus says. You see, I think we often get so wrapped up in our own sin that we forget that sin is itself a vicious, heavy burden that God desires to take off our shoulders. But we want to make it the other way around, right? We want to make sin the kind of the comfortable blanket that we cling to, and it's Jesus who demands too much of us. It's Jesus that's really the the hard taskmaster. In reality, and to intentionally allude to the matrix, that is the lie that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. The truth is this, that you were born a slave, a slave to sin and death. Now, you might want to push back on that because it might seem that I'm denying the fact that human beings have inherent worth. Of course, all beings have inherent worth. They were created for what's called, in in what's called the Imago Dei, the image of God. And that means that human beings have value and worth and should be treated at all times with dignity and love and respect. God knows that. God designed that. In fact, He believes it so much that He came to earth, put on flesh, lived a sinless life, and died a sinner's death, and defeated death itself in order to give eternal life to His people. See, I mention all that today because we are about to look at what probably should be one of the most difficult passages to read in the Bible. Don't get me wrong, the Bible has some doozies, but we're going to look at something today that is a hard pill to swallow. It's a hard pill to swallow because essentially Jesus is going to say that following him is a matter of life and death. Too often we want to make following Jesus about a particular worldview, or we might fall for the lie that he was just one of many religious leaders that had some good things to say, and your relationship with him doesn't really matter. But his words, as we close the Sermon on the Mount, as he closes the Sermon on the Mount, his words are going to challenge that assumption. And he's going to close this sermon of his with three images, two of which we're going to look at today, and a third we'll look at next week. The first image is that of a gate, the second image is that of fruit, and the third image is of a house. So, Matthew chapter 7, we'll start in verse 13. Matthew 7, 13. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. 
and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Amy is great for picking kitchen calendars for our home. The one she got for this year has lots of quotes for encouraging ways that you can help make the world a better place while I'm reading my, uh, I'm drinking my coffee in the morning. And January, the January page, it, it has this quote from Frederick Douglass on it, and it says, if there is no struggle, there is no progress. It's a principle that I think is at the heart of what Jesus is saying here. There are moments, you see, when it seems like everyone is headed in one direction. In the wider culture, in school, at work, in business, there are times when it would seem the natural thing to do would be just to follow the flow of traffic. In fact, if you weren't paying attention, it would seem like the right thing to do would be to follow the flow of traffic. But here's the thing about you. You're paying attention. And you begin to see that the way the majority of the folks are going is actually very much the wrong direction. And what Frederick Douglass and Jesus are saying here is that if you want to make sure you're on the right path, it's going to take intentionality. There are going to be times when it seems like the whole world is moving in a particular direction and it might take everything you have to say no and get back on the path of life. Have you ever seen a commercial for, for anything? But have you ever seen a commercial for, for cell phones? Commercials for, for cell phones, they're, they're, they're full of like dancing and colors and jazzy music and nature and people having a good time and work getting done and children laughing. And like all commercials, they want you to not just imagine what life would be like with this device, they want you to start thinking about the horrible sort of life you would have without this device. They want you thinking that life with this device will be full of dynamic energy and joy. And of course, the truth is that smartphones are a very helpful tool. But they would sell far less of them if they spent that same 30 seconds showing a guy sitting at a bus stop staring at his cell phone while life just passes him by. They would sell far less cell phones to parents if they advertised how the cell phones could absorb your child's attention at the dinner table and take time away from family conversation. They would sell far less cell phones if they showed images of couples lying in bed next to each other, staring at their cell phones instead of doing the other sort of things that married couples ought to be doing in bed. The thing is, if there is no struggle, there is no progress. And the way is hard that leads to life. So when the rest of the world is addicted to these little glowing rectangles, maybe the hard but revolutionary thing to do is to create boundaries, maybe whole days of your week when it is time to turn it off. You see, no one just kind of drifts into the right lane of life. 
especially when all sorts of people are trying to draw your attention away from that path. Of course the Holy Spirit is guiding us. Of course God is continuously turning our stumbles into dance. But that doesn't stop the fact, Jesus says, that if your intention is to live His way, it's going to take intentionality and it's going to take sacrifice. Let me say that again. If your intention is to live the way of Jesus, it's going to take intentionality, and it's going to take sacrifice. You might keep saying to yourself and others, oh, you know what, I'm a Christian. Yeah, I'm a Christian. My question to you today is, do you look like one? Do you sound like one? Would someone be surprised to find out that you are a Christian? When people read your social media posts, is it evident that the sort of images you post And the things you say are consistent with the things of Jesus, or instead are they hurtful and prideful and self-centered and destructive? When Jesus says, enter by the narrow gate, the first thing we have to ask ourselves is, well, enter what? Heaven? Kind of, maybe, not really. Those listening to Jesus speak these words would have been very familiar with the gates that were actually around ancient cities like Jerusalem. Some gates were large so that the waves of people could get through them with horses and carriages and equipment, but, but other gates, they were small, right? So small that you'd really have to kind of be looking for them to find them. You had to be intentional about not going with the flow of traffic, but instead follow that little path around to where you need to be going. I think that one of the things that Jesus asks us to consider is a path that is so small that only one person could get through it at a time. A path where you don't push your way through the crowds to get there first, but instead you wait your turn, and it is on this small one-person path that we realize that Jesus isn't telling us about a gate. He's telling us that He is the gate. In John's Gospel, He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, this passage is often quoted to communicate to others outside the faith that Jesus isn't just a way, he's the way. Maybe, sure. But I think that Christians should spend far more time turning around that passage back at themselves and ask, are you truly following Jesus, Christian? Or are you merely settling for the lowest common denominator of the faith that you see from the crowd? See, the way is hard that leads to life. It takes sacrifice and intentionality, but make no mistake, it is a life worth pursuing. And then Jesus gives us this second analogy, which would drive even the most mature of Christians to their knees especially anyone like me who has stepped up to a leadership position and dared stand in front of a pulpit, behind a pulpit. Starting in verse 15 of seven, Matthew 7. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? No, every, so every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree 
cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, meaning the parousia, the day of the Lord, the day of Christ's return, Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did not we prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and and do many mighty works in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you worker of lawlessness. The doctrine of grace what some have called sola gratia, is absolutely essential to a biblical understanding of divine justice. It is the belief that our righteousness is not dependent upon our own merit, but rather on the righteousness of Christ. Paul tells us in his letter to Titus that when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of the works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Please hear me clearly on this, church. Having a relationship with Jesus is never about you being good enough to be His follower. But it is true that that relationship is going to look like something. It's going to bear fruit, Jesus is saying. What does that fruit look like when the Holy Spirit has alivened you to do the work that He's called you to do? It's going to look like something. It's going to look like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness. And it's going to look like self-control. Those are the things that will come out of you when you have a relationship with Jesus and live your life according to His kingdom agenda. The way we stay healthy, bearing good fruit, is by staying connected to the Master. Sadly, though, Jesus points out that there will be some who speak perfect Christian ease, who say the right things and go to the right church and attend the right functions, and listen to the right music, and wear the right t-shirts, and vote the right way, and then one day it turns out that they really only were following the flow of traffic. And they're going to get to that gate, and Jesus is going to say, you did all sorts of things in my name, but we never had a relationship. So he's telling us today, all that stuff amounts to nothing. All of your religion, it amounts to nothing if I don't have your heart. What I want from you is a relationship, but to do that, you've got to let me in. The thought of of Jesus looking at me and saying, I never knew you, that sends chills down my spine. But it's not like that we're blind to whether or not we have a relationship to Him. I mean, what does it look like for us to know God? For starters, it's going to look like talking to Him. 
Asking, seeking, knocking. It looks like obedience, doing the will of God and seeking first his kingdom. It looks like loving others the way that you would want to be loved. It looks like having compassion on your enemies and praying for those who are nasty to you. It looks like treating others with dignity and respect, even if you don't like them. It looks like being a person of integrity who tells the truth, even when it costs you something. It looks like being a person of peace and justice who stands for the vulnerable and speaks for the voiceless. It looks like getting the log out of your own eye before you start judging other people. It looks like investing in the sort of things of God's kingdom rather than investing in your own comfort and your own glory. You see, all of that is hard. Jesus was right, the way is hard that leads to life. But the reason why his yoke is easy and his burden is light is because we make it hard, not him. We make it hard by holding on to our own heavy and burdensome sin instead of giving way to the love of life and the life of love. When we put those heavy burdens down, and really start living the way of Jesus, that's when we're going to find that our hands are are empty to do the work He's called us to do. And that's when we'll find that we're truly on the path of freedom. So two questions as we close. Number one, is there an area of your life where you know You've been following the flow of traffic for far too long. And today is the day that you need to stop and say, this stops now and this stops here. Is there something that for far too long you've called normal that you need to name as destructive? Is there something that you haven't done, that you know is a, is a habit of those who follow and have a relationship with Jesus, that you need to say, I need to start doing this thing. Is there something that you need to stop? Is there something that you need to start? That's question number one. And question number two, does your relationship with Jesus need an inventory? First of all, does it need defining? Does you need to have that... Uh, that important conversation that any good relationship has of where is this relationship going? As you pray with Jesus, as you follow his way, are you finding yourself being honest with him? Or are you finding, assuming that you can hide things from even him? Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for this community gathered here today. I thank you so much for their love and for their dedication to your kingdom agenda. I love them because they are my very, very dear friends. I know the lives that they've led. It inspires me. It encourages me. But Father, I know that all fall short of the glory of God. And sometimes we read these difficult passages in Scripture, even from the mouth of Jesus, your Son, in order to help us get back on that right path and help us to, in order to help us find true north. 
I know that I need that today. I know my friends need that today. Father, help us be a church that gathers and encourages together, that bears these burdens of one another, that we can look inward and we can look outward and be a people of Jesus, be a people of love and forgiveness instead of a people of destruction and pride. Father, I just ask that your Holy Spirit would move through us as we close this time studying your Sermon on the Mount, that you would show us, you would show us, and you would define for us this new way to be human and show us that that actually is the path of life and there is no other path of life. There is no left reform of life that you want us to, to maybe think about. No, no, you want us to be on the path of life. You desire holiness and righteousness for your people. You desire justice for your, for your societies and for your communities. And Father, we just ask that you would guide us in that way. Speak to us. Correct us. Right our wrongs. Redeem our stories. In the most holy name of Jesus Christ, all God's people said, Amen.